we have major news in the world of pickleball, plus later we hear from Thursday Night Football feature reporter Taylor Rooks. It's Thursday, September 14th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. With pickleball experiencing a rise in participation with little precedent in American sports, several companies have sprung up to try to professionalize the sport. On Wednesday, two of those leagues, Major League Pickleball and the PPA Tour, announced that they were merging and receiving a $50 million investment. Those two leagues will continue operating separately for now, but this will help quiet issues around scheduling and competition over players. I spoke to an executive at this new entity's main competitor, the Association of Pickleball Players, about the pickleball landscape and what this merger means. Here's our conversation. I am joined now by Tom Webb, CMO of the Association of Pickleball Players. Welcome, Tom. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Great to have you. So first, just orient us here. What is the APP? What do you guys do? The Association of Pickleball Players better known as the APP, so I'll use the APP for the duration of this conversation, uh, is one of the leading entities in pickleball. We were the first professional tour founded in 2019 by uh, our founder, Ken Herman. Uh, We're the only tour officially sanctioned by the national governing body of pickleball, USA Pickleball. Uh, And increasingly, we're starting to look at how we can engage with the much wider group of people who are playing the game outside of that kind of competitive sphere, uh, which is, uh, while a decent audience, um, is dwarfed by the tens of millions of people who are playing pickleball recreationally. I'm curious about pickleball as a media product, because, you know, obviously, yeah, they've got that huge surge in recreational play. Uh, but you know, people don't know the professional players. Uh, they're still learning the game. The game itself is very fast. Um, so yeah, what what are the challenges in bringing it to a, a larger audience, and how's that process gone? I think you've identified a really key point here, which is about recognition of pro players. Um, It is part of our responsibility to the players who compete in our APP tour events to create a platform that enables them to grow recognition of their own talents among a wider audience than the kind of core, let's almost call it like like the inside pickleball crowd. Um, uh, Recognition of pros among that very small core group is extremely high. But if you take a player out of a kind of, you know, a pickleball tour event, um, wherever they're competing, uh, recognition is very low, which is why I think it's important that from a strategic perspective, uh, as an organization, we're focused not just on the pro game. And, and while we invest heavily in that uh, and create those platforms that, as you mentioned, are being showcased on uh, linear products like ESPN, we're also investing into the grassroots of the game uh, and, and into the, the recreational element. Um, we know that the viewing figures, for example, um, uh, of, of our events uh, on ESPN or on CBS Sports Network are, are very similar to, to those of the other pickleball entities out there. Um, uh, the audiences are tuning in to watch pickleball, um, whatever organization it is that is uh, putting on the show, uh, and they seem to be attracted by uh, not by the players themselves, but by the sport overall, uh, which I think is important because it gives me, as a marketing person, a really good opportunity to grow awareness of the players and to develop interest, more interest in them. But it also tells me that the, 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 the kind of stage upon which they're competing, there is already a level of interest in that. The challenges are the same with any elite level sport. We, we need to put on 
um, a high quality broadcast product uh, that meets the standards that ESPN or CBS Sports would put for any of the products that they're putting on their channels. So let's get to the the big news of, of the day. So we just uh, got news that the PPA Tour, not to be confused with the APP, is merging with Major League Pickleball, MLP. These are you know two of the other big attempts to professionalize pickleball. They're merging and uh, throwing in a $50 million investment. Uh, first, what's your reaction to that news? Well, uh, it's not the first time that, that these entities have come together, parted company, come together, um, so I, I watch both as a as an interested observer, uh, but also somebody who was involved in the early days of Major League Pickleball. So I have a little bit of insight into kind of how that business operates internally. I, I think it's uh, it's interesting to see them back together again. Um, I would not be too surprised to find that this is not the last chapter in this story because uh, there is a history now of uh, the kind of somewhat roller coaster ride that these entities are involved in. Uh, but I think that there is a really important kind of contextual point with this, which you mentioned earlier, which is about general public recognition of professional pickleball players. Um, uh, the, there are large sums of money being uh, talked about in, involved in the latest round of this to be merger between these entities. Uh, and, and this really is based in the idea that, that the audiences are going to come to watch pro pickleball. Uh, and I think that that is why our organization takes a very different view um, of the way that you generate a sustainable, financially responsible business um, is that you need to engage the millions of people who are playing pickleball across the country and worldwide to be able to attract them to the pro game by ignoring those millions of people. You are risking putting yourselves in direct competition with every other sport in the country and worldwide, which is fighting for the same sponsorship dollars, uh, the same audiences as everybody else. So um, I, I watch with, as a, as I say, as a kind of interested observer, I'm not surprised um, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is not the last chapter in this story. Yeah, on that last point. Um, so yeah, I think it was last year, these Two organizations announced a merger, and then had over the summer we had headlines that they were trouble had trouble agreeing to terms. There's sort of obvious incentives for them to come together because it means less competition for players and broadcast times and getting their schedules aligned. Uh, but you know it, it has to make sense for everyone on some level. Um, do you have any insight as to you know their relationship and you know kind of the sort of conflicting desires here? Well, I think you only have to read some of the quotes given by various individuals involved in both organizations over the last few weeks to gain some understanding about maybe where some of those differences of, of opinion lie. Um, I, 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 again, like I, I suspect that, that um, while uh, the, the latest news suggests there is some sort of um, friendliness now back in their respective organizations, uh, I, I'm not entirely sure that they have um, got through all of the personal issues, perhaps that led to the latest breakdown before this re-engagement. I, I think the key thing for me is is making sure that we, at the Association of Pickleball Players, remain very focused on our plan. Um, as I said earlier, we, we our doors are open to any players that want to compete in our events. Um, that is attracting sponsors. It is attracting audiences. Um, and while the 
uh, interest in the sport um, maybe gets a little bit diverted by these kind of board level um, discussions that are taking place between other entities. There is an organization out there which is plowing its path in a very responsible, um, uh, sustainable manner, uh, which is achieving growth and doing what we are setting out to do um, while not getting involved in these kind of um, uh, ups and downs that you see from other organizations. So, yeah, this this new entity, you know, assuming this deal comes to pass, you know, it'll bring together two big organizations, they'll have $50 million to play with here. It sounds like, um, you know, you, you're you're content with, with what you have and feel like they're not really going for the, the recreational player, not trying to get that bottom-up growth in the same way, more doing a top-down, you know, here's, here's professional pickleball, um, you know, masses come come see it. Is that uh, is is that an accurate description of kind of how how you see this? I think I think you've hit on two two good points. Um, the first one being, um, are, are we happy doing what we're doing? Uh, we couldn't be happier. Um, we, we've secured investment of our own, which is helping um, us build for the future for for a very long time to come. Um, we are embracing, um, I think it's fair to say, all players from recreational players right through to amateurs and pros. Um, and I think that that, that strategy, um, again, underpinned by having a, a financially responsible approach to the way that we use our budget, uh, is one that's setting us up for long-term success. Um, I, I, I think it's also fair to say that by focusing um, on one level of the game um, means you are um, putting uh, a lot of eggs in one basket. Um, uh, and I think that therefore, um, to, to your earlier question, we are absolutely happy with where we're going. Um, our investors are happy with where we're going. And the people that come to our events and are part of our organization um, tell you um, and tell us every single time they're part of our world, how happy they are with what we do. So yeah, we're, we're very positive about the future and, and remain uh, interested observers of what else is going on in the pickleball world. All right. Tom Webb, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. The football world is still processing Aaron Rodgers' season-ending injury, and the NFL Players Association is using this moment to call for a major change. NFLPA Executive Director Lloyd Howell put out a statement on Wednesday saying, quote, Moving all stadium fields to high-quality, natural grass surfaces is the easiest decision the NFL can make. He goes on, While we know there is an investment to making this change, there is a bigger cost to everyone in our business if we keep losing our best players to unnecessary injuries. There are 14 NFL stadiums with turf, and Howell pointed out that when the World Cup comes in 2026, a lot of those NFL stadiums will temporarily be converted to grass. Earlier this year, there were questions about whether Lionel Messi would be willing to play on turf, which he is, but previous stars that have come to MLS, such as Thierry Henry and David Beckham, who now owns Messi's team Inter-Miami, have been less enthusiastic. The NFL does not seem especially interested in making that change at the moment, but we may be seeing the beginnings of a real anti-turf movement. The Oklahoma City Thunder want a new downtown arena, and they would like the city to pay for almost all of it. The new Thunderdome has a minimum projected cost of $900 million, and team ownership has committed to chip in $50 million. Most of the rest of that money would come from the extension of a 1% sales tax that was set to expire in 2028. Two things have to happen for this to work out. First, the Oklahoma City Council has to approve a special election on December 12th. 
If they do that, then the good people of Oklahoma City will have to show up for that election and approve the extension of that tax on themselves. If all that happens, the arena would open for the 2029-2030 NBA season, and the Thunder would commit to playing there through 2050. But as we saw with the Arizona Coyotes, putting your future in the hands of the voters doesn't always work out. Up next, I spoke to Taylor Rooks, Amazon feature reporter for Thursday Night Football. Tonight's tilt between the Philadelphia Eagles and Minnesota Vikings is Amazon's first TNF game of the season, and Rooks is part of the team working to add something beyond the game to Amazon's coverage. That conversation is coming up next. Very excited to be joined now by Taylor Rooks, Amazon feature reporter for Thursday Night Football. Welcome, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So let's just get to know you a little bit. So you now you're doing these sit-down interviews with NFL players for TNF. Uh, what were sort of the key stops along the way in your career that led to this point? Mm, great question. I would say, number one, Big Ten Network. That was my first job, and I just got to dip my toe in like college sports and also do something that I was already familiar with, going to a Big Ten school. Um, then SNY, where I got to cover just local New York teams. So it was my first time covering just pro teams. And as you know, that is a completely mm-hmm. different beast. Um, so I would yep. say, yeah, Big Ten Network and SNY were kind of the places I tried to learn what I could at those stops to, you know, bring me to what I'm doing right now. Cool. Yeah, I actually didn't realize you had SNY in, in your background. I think they, they're phenomenal in ter- just in their baseball coverage. They do stuff that other networks don't do. Yeah, no, they do. I agree. Their baseball coverage is really great. And obviously just the team is iconic. Um, They're definitely one of the best in baseball. But the thing that I think SNY does a really good job of, specifically with their talent, is they do genuinely let you do everything. So, and I mean everything in terms of the roles, but also everything in terms of the sports. Like I was doing horse racing and obviously I was doing baseball, but then I was doing basketball. I was doing football. I was doing college sports. They really want you to try everything. And I just feel like I learned a lot there because things that I didn't know, I had to learn quickly and do well. And then you also get on this cadence of hosting a nightly show all the time. So, you know, we talk about reps a lot in this business and it was just so many reps and so many different places um, that I was really thankful for. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of reps, you, you've spent time as a sideline reporter. Now you get to do these kind of longer form ones. Uh, what's what's your, how, how do you uh, change your approach uh, given that you've got uh, more time to work with? I love having more time. I mean, it's so much better. I mean, you can obviously make the guest feel more comfortable, um, but then you're also able to talk about the things that you want as opposed to just the things that you have to. So when you have such that small amount of time, it's like, okay, what's the game storyline? Like, what do they want to hear? And in my experience, the things that are most interesting are things where you need time to discuss and like ask follow-ups and see how they feel and why they did it and what led up to it and things like that. So having more time to me gets to the meat of it, which is just what I prefer to do. Um, But obviously there is a very specific and impressive skill that comes with career Southern reporters to be able to ask the right question, get the right bite, keep everything on track, wrangle everybody. Like that is a job uh, within itself. So, but I think just with long form, it's such a contained environment. And I just feel like you can really talk in a way that you don't get to in other spots. 
Right. It feels like a more human conversation than like, I've got six seconds to get this question out and then you've got 12 seconds to answer it and then we're yeah. back to the game. <laughs> and, yeah. I find, you know, I interview athletes and media folks and all, all sorts of people. I find athletes are the most variable just because they could be anyone. They could be people who love to talk and love to perform or they could be people who are just very good at their sport and aren't particularly social. Um, how do you kind of get ready for, because I'm sure you, you've experienced that range yourself, uh, with these longer form interviews, uh, what sort of prep do you do to be ready for that that range of human beings? Yeah. So, I mean, outside of, you know, the prep that I do to learn who and what they are and everything, one of my favorite things is just watching all of their interviews and not only to get information about them. I like to see how they responded to a question, what they talked about longer, what they talked about shorter, what was the interviewer doing that made them want to discuss certain things, what was very clear that they did not want to keep on going, and how could I ask it in a way that they want to talk more, you know? So whenever I'm talking to, like, younger uh, journalists that will send me an email and say they want to chat, I always say that, like, you should watch the interview not just for the content, but for the interaction, too. So I tend to do that when I have one coming up. So you, um, you, you've done, you know, work with, with cable networks, with, with, um, with broadcast networks. Is there a particular, um, challenges or just factors that go into working with a streaming network? I mean, I haven't necessarily found any, any issues. Um, I know, you know, obviously the first year was a big push to making sure everybody knew how to find it. You know, uh, I feel like they did a really good job with that. I no longer get questions like, where do I find the Thursday night game? Um, so I'd say that was maybe one of the bigger challenges um, that has been qual to, to some degree. I think now... Not necessarily a challenge with the streaming network because, you know, the great thing about when you are streaming the games, it means you're a partner with the NFL, you have the rights, you guys are always working together for the broadcast and shoulder programming and things like that. For me personally, I think there was a bit of an adjustment of what it's like to do the NBA interviews and the NFL interviews. They're much shorter when we talk about time. Like when I'm doing these features, it's nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten in the facility. You have them right after practice and in between a meeting and you're just trying to like go. So there is a difference between the show that I do, you know, with like BR and TNT and the show that I do or the feature interviews that I do with Prime Video. And that was an adjustment for me personally. Maybe not anything to do with it being a streamer, but just in my, from my perspective. And in terms of NBA and NFL, having talked to, you know, any number of people in, in both of those leagues, do you feel like... Does either league have a, a personality that's unique from the other one, just in terms of the athletes and yeah, the conversations you end up having? Well, I would say just like generally, probably just across all media members in sports, NBA interviews, it tends to be like very personality forward. They aren't, I would say, territorial is not the right word, but they aren't as protective in terms of like where and where the interview can be or what the person can talk about or whatever the case may be. There's also so many games that there isn't such a game focus like there is in the NFL. Whereas when I'm interviewing them for the features, there is a focus on the matchup and who they're going to be playing and what happened last week. My NBA interviews tend to be more whole person, um, and I think the NBA players are more used to that, and the NFL interviews tend to be more about, like, what happened on the field or what's coming. 
Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Just in terms of, I mean, the NBA, I think, is the sport where you're like in the players' faces the most, just like as a TV product and, and watching at the game. It's like you can see these people, you see their emotions. There's no helmet or anything. Um, yeah. And, the- and it also feels like so individualistic, the NBA. And I think that the interviews then in turn feel like that too. And then on the NFL side, and it is a media juggernaut you know, maybe with no comparison in sports or anything else. Uh, how does it feel to work, you know, hand in hand with that league? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that was the biggest shock to me was the transition in terms of just like the eyes and the exposure of the NFL. I'm like, I don't think people really understand that NFL is king. It is watched so much more than any other sport here in America. Um, So that was something that was very clear to me just after our very first broadcast, just the amount of attention was not something that I had experienced um, up to that point. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's obviously great to be involved in the NFL for that exact reason. People care so much and I am Southern. So I love football even more than I love more than I love basketball. It's the thing that I grew up on. So it's been really great to be so intimately involved with the NFL and then also being a part of the shoulder programming of a broadcast. This is the first year that I have been a part of the actual viewing experience of the game. um, And that's been great. Did you have a moment when you had this like, oh, this is different experience with the NFL? Yeah. I mean, right after our first ever prime video broadcast, I like go to my phone and I'm trending on Twitter and I'm like, it was just like, it was just a game. You know what I mean? Like it was one game. I was on the screen for maybe four total minutes. <laughs> well, maybe like nine if you include the feature, but, but yeah. And I was just like, okay, a lot of people are watching this, but then it was also cool because it was clear the excitement and in- anticipation for Amazon to now be a player in um, like streaming NFL games. So it was really cool. But that was the moment I said, yeah, I need to really be on it. A lot of people are watching this. <laughs> and that's the thing too, about Island games. Like if you have Thursday night, Sunday night, or Monday night. Any person who likes football is going to be watching your game. And so I'm also like very cognizant of that too, that like this is the football game that's on. So you want your feature to be great. You want to be completely on 10 when you're on camera because this is like, it's a real production. Um, This is the first time that I have been a part of something that feels and is, you know, just like such a gravity to it. Before we let you go, uh, can we get a Super Bowl pick out of you? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I sprung that one on you, I know. (laughs) Okay, the only reason I'm not going to say Chiefs is because going back-to-back is very difficult. So I'm not going to say Chiefs. It has nothing to do with their talent. I just am like, eh. I mean, clearly they, they can do it, but yeah, you know, they can let's mix do it, it up. Yes, but it is hard. It is, and that's, but that's even more than that. Can they do it now? Too? It's just like, it would be, that would be crazy. Um, talent wise though, I would say, okay, I think that the Chiefs can do it. There's obviously some, some drama happening right now with them and giving some contracts done, but the Chiefs, I'm going to go the Eagles or Bengals. I think just to maybe be contrarian i'll go Bengals. i think a lot of people are picking the Bengals. yeah okay yeah no sounds good i like it all right taylor rooks thanks so much for joining us on the show thank you for having me i enjoyed every minute that is it for today subscribe we have big news and great interviews every weekday if you have any questions or feedback shoot us an email at today at frontofficesports.com thanks for listening we will see you tomorrow